So hey everybody, welcome to ARE Live. I'm Mark Tier, the founder of Black Spectacles. And during our webinar today, we're going to be joined by Darian Ziegler, one of our fantastic virtual workshop instructors. And she's gonna go through a project management exercise, which is a really awesome opportunity to see how hands-on and in-depth our virtual workshops are. And it's a great opportunity for you to learn a bunch of stuff um, about project management exam. Uh, so we're super excited to share that all with you. A couple of updates for you guys. So first of all, if you're new to joining us uh, here on ARE Live, Black Spectacles is the first ever NCARB approved test prep provider for all six of the ARE uh, divisions. We offer comprehensive test prep for the ARE um, with things like video lectures, practice exams, flashcards, and of course, virtual workshops. And it's all available online um, and with memberships available either for individual architects or firms or AIA chapters or schools. Um, if you want more information uh, on that, you can go to uh, blackspectacles.com uh, to learn more about that. Uh, we just dropped a link in the chat as well. One of the cool things I think we did here recently is uh, we launched our ARE guarantee, which means we're so confident that if you use our expert membership to the fullest, that you'll pass the ARE. And if by chance you don't, uh, we're going to put our money where our mouth is and pay for your retake. Uh, so if you'd like to learn more about how to qualify for the guarantee or to check out the individual memberships, and see what kind of materials we offer. Again, uh, you can just go straight to blackspectacles.com um, and you'll find the details on our ARE guarantee there. Um, as I mentioned, you know, we have group memberships as well. So you can, um, as I like to say, if you'd like to have your boss pay, pay for your Black Spectacles membership, you can go to blackspectacles.com slash firms uh, to learn more about that. Uh, so that's a couple of updates for you. Uh, our next session, um, of ARE Live will be on June 17th of 2021. We'll be hosting a panel discussion on ARE testing order and strategy, which should be really helpful. To, we get a ton of questions about what's the right order, what's the right strategy for, for taking the test and so forth. So uh, we're gonna talk with some people who have taken their exams and they'll share the strategies that worked for them um, uh, around you know what's the right order to take the exams and how to best prepare. You know. Uh, you know, spoiler alert, there's not one answer to that question. Um, it is somewhat personal, but I think there's a couple of um, kind of common strategies I think that uh, people use as sort of a starting point. So that should be a really good session as well. Today, we're gonna be engaging exclusively on our online ARE community. So head over to that thread if you haven't already. Um, I, I'm gonna go over there myself right now. If you go to community.blackspectacles.com and then you click uh, on the Left-hand side, there's a button that says ARE Live, uh, and then it's pinned to the top, uh, PJM Virtual Workshop Exercise 2021. There's already a nice uh, little discussion that's going on there. And um, as I mentioned, we're going to be taking questions there. So um, uh, any questions you have during the session, please post them there. And myself and a couple of my teammates, we're, we're um, reviewing the questions there. We're going to bring them to Darian during the session. Um, also, everyone who posts in our thread today on our community will be eligible to win a free Black Spectacles t-shirt. So all you have to do is go over there and say hi. Uh, you don't even have to have a question. Um, and uh, um, of course, don't forget to stay tuned until the end of the podcast to see if you won. Um, and, you know, the thing, you know, despite the fact that we're doing this specifically for ARE Live, just a reminder, we built that ARE community for as a place for you to go to ask questions. So whenever you're wrestling with some sort of topic on the exam um, or just looking for inspiration, it's a great place 
Um, a ton of people are going there regularly to post questions, answer questions, share their experiences and so forth. So it's a great place to go, even if, you know, even if it's not uh, for ARE Live. And then lastly today, we have a special discount on uh, Black Spectacles memberships, which we'll share uh, at the end of the show. So stick around for that. Um, as I mentioned today, I'd like to welcome Darian Ziegler. Uh, in addition to being a PJM virtual workshop instructor for Black Spectacles um, and um, our uh, moderator for our Facebook um, page, uh, our Facebook, I should say, ARE group, uh, Darian's also an architect at Nelson Worldwide with a focus on hospitality and mixed use design. Uh, she's joining us today from Cincinnati, Ohio. So welcome, Darian. With that, I will hand it over to you. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining today. Uh, let's go ahead and jump right into this. Wow. So today we're covering changes in cost. We're going to look at the relevant aspects um, on the of changes in cost on the architect's projects, including a review of AIA documents that govern the, govern the changes in work, identification of scope items, and we're gonna look at updating staffing projections. Um, so references for this workshop. This workshop in particular, what we're gonna do today, looks at B101 a lot. Uh, but while you're at that, really after this, you should read through all of these again if you're testing for the PJM, PCM, or CNE exam. Uh, the A101, the standard form of agreement between the owner and the contractor. The A201, general conditions for the contract for construction. And the B101, standard form of agreement between the owner and architect are kind of what I think of as the big three contracts that you're going to see on those exams. And these are the ones that you really need to nail down on a lot. So if you... Uh, if you have some extra time today, maybe take a minute to read through those. Uh, so we're always going some back casual to casual reading, right, Darian? <laughs> yeah, you know, just if you get bored, um, I, the weather's kind of nice here in Cincinnati. You can sit out in the sun and review your yeah. construction contracts. Yeah, um, well, a little sun tanning and, um, and some AIA contracts. I like it. <laughs> exactly. I also, I, I love to send people to aiacontracts.org. It's where you can find the free previews of the contracts as well as just a wealth of other information. They've really been working on populating the site more. Uh, so they have relationship diagrams that show how all these contracts relate to the parties in each project delivery method. They have a whole tab that's dedicated to learn that they've been uh, in the past year and a half. So really been adding articles to and YouTube videos and they do uh, live webinars. Um, so definitely take a look there if you're having trouble really getting into contracts. That's that's the link I always love to share with everyone who comes to my workshops. Um, that's a great one. But if you uh, don't feel like reading contracts, maybe this is a great time to go read through your ARE 5.0 handbook too. Um, we're always trying to go back to the handbook. Uh, and I really suggest that everyone take a chance to look through their handbook just for a few minutes before every major study session to make sure that you're really nailing down on those objectives that NCARB has decided that you're gonna be tested on. You wanna make sure that you're getting the most out of your studying by really hitting the specific objectives that they list. So this workshop in particular is going to look at objective 4.1, evaluate compliance with the construction budget and objective 4.2 evaluate and address changes in scope of work and scope creep. Jumping right into the questions here, what is included in the cost of work? So this phrase cost of work, um, 
you might think at first that this is a really general phrase, you know, the cost of work that doesn't sound like like a like something that's super specific, but it is. Um, and here we have an excerpt from the B101. This is Article 6, which is literally titled cost of the work. Um, so our options for this question, what is included in the cost of work? A, total cost of construction, less profit. B, total cost of construction. C, total cost of design and construction. Or D, total cost of land acquisition, design and construction. Uh, so if we go to this article in the B101, we can really nail down this answer. So the first section here, Article 6.1. For the purposes of this agreement, the cost of work shall be the total cost to the owner to construct all elements of the project designed for, designed or specified by the architect and shall include the contractor's general conditions, cost, overhead, and profit. So profits in one of our words here, that might be a keyword. We might use our highlight tool if we encountered this on the exam. Uh, the cost of work also includes reasonable value of labor, materials, equipment donated to or otherwise furnished by the owner. The cost of work does not, keyword there, anytime I see a not when I'm taking exams, I always highlight that, include the compensation of the architect, the cost of land, rights of way, financing or contingencies for changes in the work or other costs that are the responsibility of the owner. Um, so if we're super familiar with our B101, we might already know this answer, but since this is all practice, we might look it up in our B101, see these, and use this information to help us determine which answer is correct. So does not include compensation for the architect. So we know that the cost of design is not included in the cost of work. So we can already cross out that one. We can see that the next one designs in it again. So we know it's not gonna be that. But additionally, I wanted to point out that this cost of work also does not include land, rights of way, financing, or contingencies, or costs that are the responsibilities of the owner. So land acquisition, also not. We can cross that out. And as we're going through these ex this exercise today, um, what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be crossing out the incorrect answers first. This is a really great test-taking strategy. Uh, if you're looking at this question and you literally don't know the answer, if you guess you have a one in uh, a 25% chance, one in four chance of getting it correct. But if you kind of go through a process of elimination and maybe you can already take out two and you have to guess between what's left, now you're at a 50% chance of guessing correctly. So I, I really recommend doing this. This is why the exam has that strikeout tool. Uh, don't be afraid to use it. it. It's a huge help, especially if you're someone like me who can sometimes rush over words or questions and, and miss some key answers or key key items in them. Um, so I really, my test taking strategy really relies on that highlight and that strike through tool. Uh, so maybe we've narrowed it down to these two. And then we can double check our section here and we can remember that profit is included in the cost of work, the contractor's profit. So we know that one is incorrect as well and we can choose B, the total cost of construction as our answer here. Okay, we'll go ahead and go on to the next question. When is the architect responsible for providing cost estimates? A, never. B, schematic design, design development and construction documents phases. C, schematic design, design development, construction documents and construction administration phases. Or D, prior to bidding. So, is there anything we can eliminate immediately here? 
you know, maybe there's not, maybe there's no silly answers that we, we wouldn't know if we weren't super familiar with the B101. Um, so one thing I like to point out is that when you go into the B101 and you're reading through this, Article 3 is the scope of the architect's basic services. And the basic services within this article are divided out by phase. The, it actually starts at the schematic design phase, which I always like to point out, uh, programming or pre-design or conceptual design or whatever other sort of thing you want to call that work when you're first starting out a project is not included. And that's because the V101 is really meant to be signed when the owner has that general idea of the budget, the program, and just like the super rough conceptual shape of it. Um, so when we look at our Article 3 scope of architects basic services, we are starting at schematic design. Um, and it lists all of the different tasks that the architect is responsible for basic services and schematic design. And if we scroll down through that, we can see that section 3.2.6, the architect shall submit to the owner an estimate for the cost of work prepared in accordance with section 6.3. Okay, so now we already know that the architect is responsible for preparing at least one estimate of the cost of work. We can strike out answer A, never. Uh, if we continue to scroll down, we see that in design development, the architect shall update the estimate of the cost of work prepared in accordance with section 6.3. Okay, so now we know that we've got our SD and our DD and these two, we're probably looking at these two answers right here. And we can keep searching in the B101 to confirm this. Uh, once we get down to the construction documents phase, we see that the architect shall again estimate their cost of work prepared in accordance with the R section 6.3. Okay, so we know at least in these three phases, um, and if you're following along, maybe have your B101 open as, open as you scroll down, you'll see that there is no responsibility for the architect to update the estimate during procurement or construction phases. Um, and that makes sense because once you're in procurement, uh, when you're probably having a, a, a bidding phase, um, why would you update your cost of work estimate? Because the contractor is providing their bid, which is basically uh, their estimate of how much it's going to, to cost. So at that point, once you are done bidding, um, once you're done with your construction documents, the architect is no longer responsible for keeping track of those costs. That's something that goes on to the contractor. So we can select B right here. The architect is responsible for providing cost estimates at schematic design, design development, and construction document phases. Um, when you're first reading this, prior to bidding might sound right because you know you want to make sure that one before you go out to bid that your design is really matching the owner's budget. Um, but that wasn't really the correct, the most correct answer here because the B101 really defines each phase when this needs to happen. And it doesn't just happen prior to bidding, um, which would probably be at the construction documents phase. It, it also happens at SD and DD. So that one is incorrect as well. And if you do have a Black Spectacle subscription, um, Mike Newman does a really great job of talking about how when you're designing, maybe at the beginning and the end of each phase, you kind of want to evaluate if you are complying with the budget. Um, just making sure that you're continuously evaluating your design versus the budget so that you're not in a situation where you need to do a big VE exercise at the end, um, which oftentimes happens, but isn't really the way you want it to go in an ideal world.
Moving right along. Our third question, the owner requests that the architect provide a detailed cost estimates when negotiating the contract. How should the architect perform this service? So we're gonna underline detailed here, that will be important. And we're gonna read through our answers and see if there's any that we can eliminate immediately. A is a part of basic services, B is an additional service, C as a supplemental service, or D, the architect should not accept this liability. Hmm. You know, maybe none of those are throwing up any immediate red flags. Um, but again, if we're super familiar with our B101, we know that we can look this information up in section 6.3. This is uh, going to tell you exactly what the architect is responsible for in regards to providing that cost estimate. So section 6.3 of the B101 states, in preparing estimates of the cost of work, the architect shall be permitted to include contingencies for design, bidding, and price escalation to determine what materials, equipment, component systems, and types of constructions are to be included in the contract documents, to recommend reasonable adjustments in the program and scope of the project, and to include design alternates as may be necessary to adjust the cost of work estimate, uh, cost of work rather, to meet the owner's budget. The architect's estimate of the cost of work shall be based on current area, volume, or other conceptual estimating techniques. That's kind of a key word here. If the owner requires a detailed estimate of the cost of work, the architect shall provide such an estimate as if identified as the architect's responsibility in section 4.1.1 as a supplemental service. So, this might tell us our answer right here. I'm gonna dig into it a little bit more so we can kind of talk about some of the related concepts around this. Um, so right away, we know that the architect should perform the service according to the B101. Now that's not to say there might ever be a situation where um, where the, the owner is requesting something that the architect doesn't feel comfortable um, performing for whatever reason. Maybe the architect says, hey, this is really specialized. I think you'd be better uh, reaching out to, to a company that provides professional estimates uh, as, their, as their profession. And that may happen, but we have to go off the details that are provided in the question and what we are provided in our source material or B101 in this case. So this probably isn't a good fit for this question. And now I wanna talk just a little bit more um, about basic services. Those basic services are the ones that we talked about in Article 3. And we know that a detailed cost estimate is not a part of those. It's the cost estimate that's based on conceptual estimating techniques. So we're down to additional and supplemental services. Our contract mentions six, section 4.1.1. And we've got that here for your reference. So Article 4 is supplemental and additional services. And section 4.1 is supplemental services and they're providing us with this table. And we can see right down here that a detailed cost estimating beyond that required in section 6.3 is listed as a possible supplemental service. Now, if before the contract was signed, the owner and the architect negotiated and said, hey, this is something that the architect will provide. They filled in this chart with architect right here that would be an additional service. I do wanna point out though, that additional and supplemental services can literally be the same activity. Uh, what really separates them is that additional aren't agreed upon in the original contract. You can kind of remember this by 
by remembering that additional services are in addition to the contract. Supplemental services supplement the basic services. So your supplemental services are listed in the contract, additional are ones that come up later. So in this situation, the owner has requested it when they were negotiating the contract, the contract hasn't been signed. And that's how you know it's supplemental service. Uh, if the prompt for this question said, after design uh, development, the owner decides that they really need a detailed cost of work estimate and ask the owner to do this. this. Um, in that instance, because the contract had already been signed and they're requesting it after the contract signing, at that point, it would be an additional service, not a supplemental. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. You might see questions like this on the exam and always know that supplemental are in the contract, additional are outside of the contract, they're in addition and they are requested after the contract is signed. That's a, a super important thing I always like to remind people. Okay, now we get a lot of requests for more math problems. So I've included some here for you and hopefully this will be helpful for you all. Uh, so question four, the architect is reviewing their drawings and realizes an error was made in calculating the required thickness of the eaves. The drawings show one inch eaves universally, but two and a half is required to achieve the proper continuous insulation R value. Given the original detailed cost of work estimate, put the eaves at $32,000 with a 75 cents in material cost and $5 in installation cost, how much should the architect increase the detailed cost of work estimate by? So our first step here is going to be figuring out exactly how much the two and a half inch eaves costs versus the one inch eaves. So we can do that by setting up a ratio. We're just gonna do this the long way here so we're sure that everyone understands. So we've got one inch eaves and that's 75 cents in material cost. So if we have two and a half inch eaves, what are the material costs? We'll use X for that. And then we can cross multiply. One X equals 0.75 times 2.5 inches X. And then we can figure out that X equals 1.875 and that's in dollars. So two inch EFs is 1.875 in material cost per square foot. Or it's, yeah. Okay, so our next step is going to be to figure out how many square feet of EFs were on this project. And we can extrapolate that by taking the original cost and understand that the total cost of the EFs, which is 0.75 material plus $5 installation times the area, we'll use A for that, equals $32,000. So we've got 5.75 total cost per square foot times A equals $32,000. And then we can divide that out to solve for the area. And then we'll get that the area equals 
5,565.21, remember our units, square feet. Perfect. And now to get the new cost of the EFs, we're going to take that area, 5,565.21, and we're going to multiply it by our two and a half inch EFs cost, which we established was 1.875 in material plus $5 installation. So, times 6.875 equals our new cost. And if we multiply that out, our new cost is going to be 3,000, or sorry, 38,260.87 dollars. So this is the cost of the thicker EFs. And we need to make sure that we go back to our question and remember what it's asking. The question is asking how much should the architect increase the cost of work estimate by? Like I said earlier, I'm the kind of person who can sometimes rush through questions. And this is something I would need to pay attention to myself because I might be tempted after I just spent all this time calculating things to put 38,260.87 as the answer. But that's not what they're asking for. They're asking for how much it needs to be increased by. So we need to take our 38260.87 minus the original cost. And then that difference will be the amount it needs to be increased by. So we get 6,260.87. And one of the questions I tend to get a lot, both in the workshop and the Facebook and the community, is about rounding. Um, what do I need to round to? And I'm gonna tell you now that the worst thing you can do is sit and worry about whether you're rounding um, while you're calculating or not. Because when NCARB defines their answers for these type of questions, they're actually doing a range. It's not just one single number. It's a range of numbers that are acceptable. And this is to account for rounding differences while you're calculating things. Um, so if back here, we did had decided to use 1.88 instead of 1.875, um, that should be fine because there's a certain tolerance and rounding. Um, so don't worry about that. What you should worry about is if a question says what you need to round to. If it says round to the nearest dollar, you need to make sure you're rounding to the nearest dollar. If you put a decimal in there, it will be flagged as incorrect, even if it was the right answer. If it's saying round to the nearest hundredth, you need to make sure you're rounding to the nearest hundredths. So our question didn't specify, so we're not going to worry about it. We're just going to say 6260.87, dollars um, Another question I get a lot asked a lot is about commas. I would personally recommend just not including a comma at all, because it's just one more thing that you can perform a typo on or get wrong. Because if you put a comma here, it might be correct on the exam. But if you put a comma here, then your, might, your, your answer, while correct, might get flagged as wrong. Um, so I would really recommend just not putting commas anywhere, and, and it'll be fine. Um, I know that's a huge concern some people have. And like I said, the best thing to do is to not worry about it. 
you have an average of about two minutes and some change for each question. And these calculations already take a while. Don't let that anxiety slow you down while you're doing this. Okay. Heading on to question five. After bidding, it is discovered that the steel costs were way higher than anticipated due to unexpected issues in procurement and importing. The bids all exceed the cost of work estimate due to this. The owner is not happy with the architect and claims that the architect is at fault for the inaccurate cost of work estimate. Is this statement true? And let's see our options here. A, yes, the architect is responsible for the accuracy of their estimates. B, yes, the architect should have included this in their contingencies. C, no, the architect is not responsible for the cost of labor or market conditions. D, no, the bidder should have adjusted their bids for price escalation. And again, the first thing you wanna do is maybe see if there's one you can cross out immediately. For me, this one is jumping out as something that's not correct. The bidders should have adjusted their bids for price escalation. Well, well, they did. They they adjusted them higher because the price escalated. So we can probably cross that one out immediately. Maybe we need to think a little bit harder about these last three here. So the architect is responsible for the accuracy of their estimates. That sounds reasonable. Uh, the architect should have included this in their contingencies. I feel like contingency is a word that gets thrown a lot because people rely on you not really knowing what it means. Um, and it can be really confusing because the owner has their contingencies, there's contingencies in this construction budget. Um, internally, the architect probably has some as well. Um, let's not let that word trip us up too much and let's, let's think about it more. Or no, the architect is not responsible for the cost of labor and market conditions. Huh, that also sounds reasonable. If we are, again, super familiar with our B101, uh, we might know that we can read about this back in Article 6 again. And if we look at Article 6.2, the owner's budget for the cost of work is provided in the initial information and shall be adjusted throughout the project as required under Sections 5.2, 6.4, and 6.5. Evaluations of the owner's budget for the cost of work and the preliminary estimate of the cost of work and updated estimates of the cost of work prepared by the architect represent the architect's judgment as a design professional. It is recognized, however, that neither the architect nor the owner has control over the cost of labor, materials, or equipment. So we've got some of our keywords in here, cost of labor, materials, or equipment. The contractor's methods of determining bid prices or competitive bidding, market, or negotiation, negotiate, negotiating rather contracts. So we've got another one right here, another one right there, conditions. Accordingly, the architect cannot and does not warrant or represent the bids or negotiated prices will not vary from the owner's budget for the cost of work or from any estimate of the cost of work or evaluation prepared to or agreed by the architect. Okay, so it sounds like maybe we can go ahead and cross that one out. And then in reviewing the section, we know that at least part of this is true. The architect is not responsible for the cost of labor market conditions. We've established this much. So this is looking pretty good. The architect is responsible for the accuracy of their estimates. While that might be true to some extent, the section really makes it clear that the architect does not warrant that the prices will not vary from the owner's budget. 
So this is really in here to limit the architect's liability when it comes to cost of work estimates. Um, this happens fairly often where the bids will come in high and the owner might be frustrated with the architect. And this clause is to protect them. The, the architect can't know that um, there's gonna be tariffs on steel from China. The architect can't know that, oh, there's gonna be a pandemic in you know four months and that's really going to mess with how you're sourcing your building materials. Um, and this is to make sure that the architect is protected from liability when it comes to situations like that. So while this is true to an extent, I think that we can establish that C is the most correct answer here. Um, so that's something I always like to bring up is that some people can get really hung up on what's the correct answer. Uh, this is always going to be a question of the most correct because there might be situations where the answers can change. Um, and kind of going back to the issue with rounding, don't let that strife make you pause or make you spend more time on a question you know you you make want to make sure that you keep moving even if you're frustrated because you think that oh like more than one of these answers is clearly correct make sure you always keep moving and stick to your time uh, flag the question for review and come back later and just keep pushing forward there we go so one of the other great things about the workshops is that we have these scenario type questions a lot of times um, it's kind of like a case study that we can all work through together. Um, and so I think that's one of the value of, of the workshops is you have this opportunity to work together with other candidates to, to answer these scenarios, these really tricky things that you might see on case studies. And then we obviously go over the answers together and review it. And I think it's a, a huge help, help for some people. Okay, so our scenario here is you are a project manager in a large architecture and interior design firm. You are working on a renovation of an existing luxury retail space. Utilizing information below to answer the following questions regarding billing. Assume a net multiplier of three and that each of these staff members had a, a utilization rate of 90%. The office's target profit percentage is 8% of the gross revenue. And here we have our direct salary rates for four employees. The project manager is making $65 an hour. The project architect's direct salary rate is $50 an hour. Designer two's direct salary rate is $45 an hour. And designer one's direct salary rate is $35 an hour. So our first question, the project architect spent 100% of their billable time each week on this project for the duration of DD. The project manager spent 15% of their billable time, and the designer one spent 80. If design development lasted three weeks, how much was billed to the client for their labor for this phase, assuming the contract was hourly not to exceed $35,000? So I, I think this is probably the, the trickiest question that we included in this preview for today. So we're gonna go ahead and walk through this. I think there's a couple things that we wanna review first. And I think the first one is utilization rate. So let's remember that utilization rate is the ratio of direct labor that an employee has versus their total labor. Um, so it's the ratio of the labor that they're directly billing to projects versus the total amount of time they're working per, per week or per month, whatever the, the period is. Um, so if an architect is working 40 hours per week 
and they're spending two hours on administration tasks, we would we would take the 38 hours of direct labor and divide that by the 40 hours of total labor and get a utilization rate of point uh, of 95 percent, 0.95. Um, so just a quick review on that. And let's also remember that to get what we are billing our clients, we're taking the direct salary rates here and we are multiplying them by the net multiplier. So our net multiplier today is three. So our first step in answering this question is actually figuring out exactly how much we're billing the client for each of these three employees. So we're gonna take the PM, their direct salary rate is $65 an hour. And we're gonna multiply that by three to get their billing rate. And 65 times three is going to be $195 an hour. So for every hour the project manager works, they're making $65 an hour or so, and the client is being billed $195. And our project architect is making $50 an hour. That's their direct salary rate. Multiply that times three and we will get their billable rate as $150. Go back to our question. We're looking at the PA, the PM, and the designer one. So we don't even care about this designer two. We might cross them out just so it's not distracting to us. We've got our designer one, $35 an hour times three, which equals out to $105 per hour. Okay, so now we've got our billable rates and we're gonna use those to figure out how much they should bill based on the amount of time that each employee worked on it. We might go back to our question and we'll see that we used our net multiplier, we've used our utilization rate. What about this bit? The office's target profit percentage is 8% of the gross revenue. Well, the profit is already included in the multiplier. Um, you're using that profit, what you want to gain above and beyond what you need to, to keep the lights on and to keep everyone paid. You're calculating that when you're determining both your billable rates, your direct salary rates, and your net multiplier. So this this has already been accounted for we don't need this for this question we might go ahead and cross that out too just so it's not distracting us when we're answering it okay so we've got 195 dollars billable rate for the pm 150 billable rate for the pa and 105 dollars billable rate for designer one so maybe i'll just copy that information right here so we can see it 150, 51, 105, perfect. Okay, now another key word in this is billable time. So this billable time, that means their direct labor. It means that the time they're spending billing to a project. So we know that their utilization rate is 90%. We know that because right here. And so that's 0.9. So this is 0.9 utilization. And we're gonna take that 
and we're going to multiply it by, first of all, a 40-hour work week times the weeks that DD lasted. So our DD lasted three weeks. And then we're going to multiply that by the time for each staff and then by their uh, billable rate. So let's go ahead and do the PM first. Our PM is $195. We're gonna take that by point, let's go ahead and put the time in brackets. So this here is all going to be about the time they spent. So 0.9 utilization times 40 hours per week times three weeks, and they spent 15% of their time. So that's 0.15. And so the PM's fee is going to be 195 times what we had in brackets here. And so we get 0.9 times 40 times three weeks times 0 0.15, 15% of their time. And we get 16.2 hours. That's the hours they spent on it. So if we take that times 195, we are going to get 3,159 dollars. So that's the PM's fee. But we need to find not just the PM, but also the PA and the designer one. So we'll just write this up here. We'll get prepared to add those together. So we're gonna do the same thing for the PA. So our PA is $150 per hour. And we're gonna take that times 0.9 utilization, 40 hours, three weeks. And then they spent 100% of their billable time. So we're gonna use just a one value for that. And once you multiply that all out, you're going to get 150.943. You get $150 times 108 hours. And that equals out to $16,200. So PA, $16,200. Ugh. All right, last but not least, we have our designer. So our designer is $105 per hour times, again, utilization, 40 hours, three weeks, and they worked for 80%, so 0.8. So our designer one, is $105 times 91.8 hours. So our designer one's fee for this phase was $9,639. So we'll add that up here. $9,639. And we'll add all of those together to get a sum of $2,000.
$28,998. Beautiful. So we got our answer here. And remember, when we fill it in this chart, we are not going to include the units. The units are always included in the answer. You never need to type a unit. We're going to omit the comma because we don't we don't want to make things harder for ourselves. 98. Perfect. OK. And then um, just to bring this up, our contract was hourly not to exceed. So if we had worked way too much time, say if the the project manager had to bill like 30 hours for whatever reason, I don't know why, um, that probably would have put us over are not to exceed. And what would have happened is, you know, we're still on the hook for providing the same deliverable that we agreed to in the contract, but we only would have been able to bill $35,000. So if when we figured this out, it had been higher than that $35,000, the answer would have been 35,000. You know, just wanted to throw that out right here. This question had played out differently. Okay, perfect. Didn't use that sheet. We're, we're coming towards the end here. Don't worry, only a little bit more math. So question seven, the owner decides after the design is complete and the project is about to be bid that they would like a redesign of the front entry. The architect sends the owner a proposal for additional services to be performed at an hourly rate. The project manager bills four hours to the project. The project architect bills 25 hours and the designer one bills 60 hours. How much should the owner be billed for the redesign? Use the billable rates calculated in question six. And we already have those right here, just for a reference. These are the billable rates that we already calculated. And let's revisit some of the terminology here. The project manager bills four hours. So again, that bills is important. This bills is telling us that they literally spent that much time on this part of the project. So we're in the other question, we had to look at the utilization rate here we don't because we know it's easy. They they literally build four hours to that project. Our utilization rate isn't going to matter. We can omit that information. If we are using our strike through tool, we might go back and strike that out because we don't need it anymore. The project architect bills 25 hours and the designer one bills 60. So this one's really a lot more streamlined than the last question. We can take our PM billable rate, 195, and we just multiply it by the hours they spent. So times four. So our PM fee is going to be equal to $780. We'll do the same thing for our PA. We'll take their billable rate. Always wanna keep reminding the units and we'll multiply that by the hours. And our PA, their total fee is $3,750. And we'll do the same thing one more time for our designer. Their billable rate is 105. We'll multiply that times the, times the 60 hours they worked. And we will get Six thousand three hundred, and then we'll go ahead and add all those up to get the total fee. Got seven eighty for the PM, 
3,750 for the PA and 6,300 for the designer one. 6,300 plus 3,750 plus 780 equals $10,830. So the total fee that should be billed is $10,830. Nice and easy, really simple compared to the last one we did. And this will be our last question for the day. Question number eight. The construction administration phase for the project has been very work intensive. Which of the following tasks performed by the architect should be considered additional services? Check the three that apply. So let's go ahead and review our answers here. A, review of an alternate facade system proposed by the owner. B, acting as the initial decision maker on a claim by the contractor against the owner. C, responding to a number of RFIs regarding information already present in the construction on in the contract documents rather. D, preparing change orders related to the redesign of the entry. E, preparing a change order for an alternate floor finish. Or F, reviewing and certifying the contractor's application for payment. So right away, we can cross out some of these. If we're super familiar with our B101 again, we know that it's already the architect's responsibility to review and certify. Review and certify the contractor's application for payment. We already know that. Okay, perfect. Okay, so going back here, we might know that the architect's basic services already include acting as the initial decision maker. We haven't really talked about that today, but that is good to know that by default, the architect is already the initial decision maker. Hmm. Let's see. I think that's all we can really cross off here. Let's go and read through our B101 to dig deeper into this. So this is section 4.2.2 back in article four regarding supplemental and additional services. To avoid delay in the construction phase, the architect shall provide the following additional services. Notify the owner with reasonable promptness and explain the facts and circumstances given rise to the need. If upon receipt of the architect's notice, the owner determines that all par or parts of the service are not required, the owner shall give prompt written notice to the architect of the owner's determination. The owner shall compensate the architect for the services provided prior to the architect's receipt of the owner's notice. So one, Reviewing a contractor's submittal out of sequence from the submittal schedule approved by the architect. Two, responding to the contractor's request for information that are not prepared in accordance with the contract documents or where such information is available to the contractor from careful study and comparison of the con contract documents, field conditions, and other owner-provided information. So maybe we can go back now and we can say, oh, responding to a number of RFIs regarding information already present in the contract documents. Oops. So we already know that this is an additional service. Sorry, meant to underline that, not strike through it. Um, so we already know that this is one of our correct answers. We just read it. And this is something that doesn't get done a lot in the real world. Uh, if you've ever done CA on a project, you know a lot of it is, well, did they even look at the drawings? That's right there. Um, and you can't actually ask for an additional service to keep responding to those. Um, Again, not something that happens a lot, but is technically in the contract. 
Okay, three, preparing change orders and construction change directives that require evaluation of the contractor's proposals and supporting data or preparation of the revision of instruments of service. So we know that when we did that revision, we already updated the instruments of service. So hmm, maybe we can say already that this one should be an additional service because we already performed that entry redesign as an additional service. You know, I think it, it stands to bear that that should also be an additional service preparing those change orders. Okay, uh, let's see here. Evaluating an extensive number of claims as the initial decision maker. We talked about that. The architect is the initial decision maker by default. Nothing in this whole scenario would lead us to believe that there's been an unnecessary or excessive amount. So we can kind of ignore that for now. And five, evaluating substitutions proposed by the owner or contractor and making subsequent revisions to the instruments of service resulting therefrom. So a review of an alternate facade system proposed by an owner. I think we can go ahead and say that that's definitely one of them. As far as this one, as a part of the architect's basic services, they they will prepare change orders. So we don't really need that one. We can go ahead and cross him out. Uh, whenever I have these questions that are select more than one or select however many apply, I always go back and double check that I have selected the correct number. Um, I know I'm always surprised by how often I accidentally don't. Even when I think I click that little bubble, turns out I didn't. So three, one, two, three, we're all good. Great. So one of the things I like to do if I run out of time on my exams, uh, or not run out of time, if I have extra time rather, is go through each and every question and just flip through it and double check things like this. Um, I don't rethink any answers. I'm just making sure that I selected the right number or that I um, I responded to the, the best rounding. If it said that the answer had to be in hundreds, I rounded to the hundreds. If it said nearest whole number, I rounded to the nearest whole number. Uh, that's a good way to use your extra time uh, without kind of going back and maybe undoing some of the work you've already done. So if you do have extra time, that is a good strategy. And that's all I have today. Um, awesome. Were there any questions, Mark? Good question. Uh, there really weren't, or, or we were able to address them sort of in real time. So you're off the hook. Uh, your uh, lecture there was so well done. There weren't any big questions there. Let me just double check and make sure I got it. Yes, no more questions. So you did a great job. And I just wanted to sort of call out, um, I really appreciated the the uh, sort of the test taking strategies that you included along the way there. Um, those are really helpful. Um, and uh, sometimes it's sort of we get so focused on the material itself, you forget that, oh yeah, this is a test. <laughs> and there's uh, you know, those sorts of things to sort of think about. So uh, thank you so much for that. And um, of course, thanks everybody for tuning in, as I mentioned at our next ARE live broadcast on June 17th of 2021 here, we'll be hosting a panel discussion on ARE test, testing order and strategies. Uh, we'll talk with people who've taken their exams and and you know we'll ask them to share their strategies behind the order in which they took the exams and how to best prepare. So we're going to share a link here for all of you, or you can just go to blackspectacles.com slash ARE-live to sign up for that. Um, I mentioned uh, 
at the top of this episode uh, that we've launched our ARE guarantee program, which means we're so confident that if you use our expert membership to the fullest, um, uh, we think you're going to pass the ARE. And if you don't, uh, we're going to put our money where our mouth is and pay for your retake. So to learn more about how to qualify for the guarantee, um, you can go to blackspectacles.com. Um, and uh, there's a section there about the guarantee and sort of how that works. Um, the lucky winner uh, of a Black Spectacles t-shirt is Katie A. So Katie, we're going to reach out to you via email to get your size and shipping information. Um, and just a reminder, if you'd like to be eligible to win a free t-shirt next time, uh, post a question you have about our featured topic in our community during uh, during ARI Live um, in our next episode. Um, and you'll be entered into that. And of course, as I mentioned, uh, our community is always buzzing. So it's not just for ARE Live, it's, it's a place for you to go to get support, uh, whether it's uh, strategy or whether it's a specific question. Um, we have experts who uh, tune into that uh, community on a regular daily basis. Um, so drop your questions in there or snoop around and see if you can uh, find any good stories to keep you motivated during the process of getting uh, licensed. I also mentioned um, uh, uh, an individual discount. So if you're making your summer plans, uh, don't forget to st uh, about staying on track uh, and studying for the ARE. So uh, we're going to be offering a 10% discount on any of our ARE prep memberships to give you the opportunity to get licensed this year. Uh, use the code you can see here, A-R-E-L-I-V-E-M-A-1-0 to get 10% off any of our ARE prep memberships. And keep in mind that that coupon code expires on June 17th, 2021. Uh, so if you're ready to start studying, uh, you can go to um, blackspectacles.com to sign up and use that coupon code. And then finally, be sure to stick around for a few minutes after our episode to take uh, a survey uh, and sh share any suggestions you might have for new episodes. I promise we read every word that you write and use them to tune our next episodes. Thanks for watching.